They say the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Well, you, you and I, we were meant to be free. And now God invites you to a soul-shaking, chain-breaking, life-giving adventure with your closest friends. We will share our stories of struggle and bravely explore the uncharted places of our soul. We will do this together and promise one another we won't stop until we are free. Liberation awaits. Today, freedom calls out your name. This is the way, the new way to be free. What's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? Awesome to see you guys. I want to welcome all of our campuses watching throughout the state of New Jersey, as well as those of you watching online. Let's welcome our brothers and sisters that are watching. So glad you're here. As we are in part five of our series, Freeway, the Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. And how many of you are in freeway groups, by the way, across our campus? Wow, we've got a lot of you that are involved in these groups. And so if you've been working through the workbook and, and you're going to your group, you know that this is actually a six-step process. And it's a journey that we're all going on together. Uh, step one is awareness, slowing down so we can be aware of what is going on in our story and be able to hear from God. Step two is discovery, being able to be honest about our story with our groups. And many of you have heard other people say, dude, that's my story too. And you see the similarities and the, el the elements in our story. Step three is ownership, which is taking responsibility of our story and, and some of our issues as well. Step four is forgiveness. Pastor Tim talked us through that last week. Today we're going to talk about step five, which is acceptance. And then next week, step six is freedom. We get to celebrate the freedom that Christ has for us with baptism. It's been a great series. Uh, last week, Pastor Tim took us through a really difficult one, which is forgiveness. And this is really difficult because, you know, for many of us, forgiveness, we think of as a one-time thing, but forgiveness is really a lifestyle. It's something that we do um, on a daily, ongoing basis. It's how uh, we're meant to operate as Christians. And Pastor Tim showed a really helpful chart. Uh, definitely for me, the difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness leads to healing, while trust may lead to reconciliation. Now, not all forgiveness will lead to reconciliation. And, and in fact, sometimes we need to still forgive, even though we may never see reconciliation. I heard a story of someone in our church this past week, uh, had a great relationship with her dad, with her stepmom, but then when her dad died, stepmom cheated her out of her inheritance. And just the amount of anger and the bitterness that she had kept inside of herself, looking for ways that she could get revenge, was difficult. It was painful. And that's why forgiveness really, it's not something that we can do on our own. Forgiveness is actually something that we can only do by the power of God. When we are in relationship with Jesus and we understand how he's loved us and how he's forgiven us, it helps us take that next step to forgive other people in our lives. In the same way, that's the kind of thinking we need to have about acceptance. Without the power of God, we can't accept the way God sees us. We can't accept um, the way he receives us and loves us. In fact, this is how I would define acceptance. Acceptance is believing what God says about you over and against what the world says about you. Acceptance is seeing yourself the way God sees you, not the way the world or other people sees you. That is, as a son and as a daughter of God. 
And it's so easy for us, you know, with all the different voices and messages that come at us, to lose sight of our true identity and how God sees us. In fact, we get bombarded with millions of messages every single day. And in fact, some of you, you know, you go to the grocery store and you're about to check out and then you see all these racks of magazines right there, right? And you see all these women that are uh, very skinny and proper and put together. And sometimes the message we get from that is, there's something wrong with me because I don't look like that. There, there, there's something where I'm unworthy because I don't have that same body shape or that body type. Or maybe you're one of those folks where the new iPhone comes out or some new technology first comes out, so you get excited about it, and so you're standing in line early in the morning so that you can get it because there's a part of you that's compelled that says, I need to get this. I need to have whatever is the newest and whatever is the best because if I don't, then how will I be the best? How will I be uh, the best type of person ever? Or you run into a friend and you've both been so busy that you lost sight of each other and you start talking about trying to get together and then it ends up being a competition of who's busier. You ever been there? Oh, I got this going. Well, I got this and this and so-and-so's got this. And pretty soon you, you figure you can't really even meet because we're so busy. And part of it is the reason why many of us are really busy is because if we feel like we're not busy, we feel like we're not important. If I'm not busy, I don't have purpose for my life. And so these messages come at us, and they come at us almost like a megaphone. They are loud, and they're in our direction, whether we like it or not. And many of you, you know how a megaphone works. You, you point it, and you, it takes a voice, and it makes it really loud in a specific direction. That's the purpose of a megaphone. And society has megaphones that are pointed at us, that actually try to determine and shape who we are and how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us. In fact, I like to think of there's about four kind of big megaphone buckets that a lot of this stuff fits into. And the first is what I call the megaphone of performance. The megaphone of performance. This is all about, uh, I need to perform so that people will like me. So I got to perform well for my parents. I got to perform well for my boss. I got to perform well for my spouse and my kids because I, I need to have that acceptance. A friend of mine was telling me that uh, her dad was an alcoholic. And the only time she ever got attention and love from her father was when she excelled in school. And so the message that she internalized was, I am not loved or valued unless I am doing really, really well, unless I'm performing well. And the message would come at her like this, work harder, push yourself further. You're only acceptable from your last success, from your last A, from the last project. Work yourself to the point of exhaustion. That's the only way you will be loved and accepted. The megaphone of performance, constantly ringing in many of our ears. Then there's the megaphone of approval. Approval. This is the idea that, you know, I'm willing to compromise my values and my beliefs so that people will like me, so, so, so that people will, uh, you know, accept me and love me that way. I know this is the voice that screams in my head the most. You know, I was talking to a, a mom who I, who I knew, and she basically has gotten rid of the word no from her daughter's vocabulary. Everything's yes, absolutely, because for her, she wants love and acceptance from her daughter because that's what makes her feel like she's got worth. She, the voice that she has screaming in her ear sounds like this. If your kids like you, that means you're worth something. If they're mad at you, then there's something wrong with you. You're a failure as a parent if your kids don't like you. And the messages reverberate performance, approval. Then, of course, there's the megaphone of blame and shame. We talked a little bit about this during ownership, the idea that shame is this idea that there's something dysfunctional about me in and of myself. 
And so to try to get rid of that pain, what we try to do is we discharge it. We blame other people. It's their fault. It's not my own fault. But sometimes that pain has a way of boomeranging back, and we end up blaming ourselves, probably more than we should. We become over-owners and, and take on too much. You know, often, you know, when I talk to men who are struggling with pornography, and they're really trying to get victory over it, uh, often when they fall or when they stumble, the voice that comes back to them is this. You messed up again? That's the third time this week. You are never going to beat this. You are disgusting. You are filthy. You didn't just make a mistake. You are the mistake. Blame and shame. And finally, there's the megaphone of fear. Fear and all its ugly siblings, anxiety and panic and insecurity. They all come after us. You know, I was talking to a guy, he's a vice president of a company, doing really well. He actually worked his way up the company, never went to college, never got any uh, further degrees, works with mostly MBAs. And whenever he would finish a meeting or a, a, a presentation, when everyone left and he closed his office door, he fell to the ground and said, thank God they didn't discover me. Thank God they didn't figure out that I'm a fake. Because his voice sounds like this. You're an idiot. If people really knew what you were about, you'd be an imposter. Man, someone's going to find you out, and they're going to throw you out. Because really, you are worthless. And so these voices, they come at us, and, and almost um, rapid fire several times a day, several times even in a moment even. And, you know, they're all different, but they all kind of fit in those categories. Things like this. You're a screw-up. You can never do anything good with your life. You always mess things up. It's your fault that they split up. You know, the divorce that you had, your kids are going to be in therapy for the rest of their lives. You are what you do. And on and on and on the voices come. And you know what's so fascinating about these voices is that when we hear them enough times, what happens is they actually start to kind of form this identity, this way we see ourselves, the way we see the world. In fact, we assume people see ourselves through the way these voices have woven into us. It's, it's what I call a false self. And oftentimes, this false self happens really early in life. Early enough that we don't even, we're not even aware of what, what's happening or when the script comes in. You know, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor, and uh, he pastored this uh, tiny country church in upstate New York. Uh, I, and I'm thinking, you know, you're thinking this, like traditional steeple, pews, the whole bit. And um, this is in like the country, so most of the congregation, they're farmers and they're ranchers. So I was a country kid. <clears throat> I grew up in the country. You know, we called the creek the crick, you know. That's, that's kind of wh where we're at. And so, you know, we were living there, and it was great, man. I loved country living and, and stuff like that. But, you know, we always knew that we were different, right? We weren't like everyone else. It was a mostly a monocultural area. We're the only Indians in that little village that we stayed in. And you know, my mom dressed in a traditional Indian sari. You know, we weren't, you know, hiding anything. Uh, but uh, we knew we were different. And it wasn't until I started school that I realized how different we were and what it really meant. You know, um, I was, um, you know, in school, and uh, I didn't have this whole hand-eye coordination thing down at all. So I couldn't catch or couldn't throw. And so whenever it came time for recess and we'd uh, pick teams, we'd do a kickball. And so I was always, like, the last one to be picked. And, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm the last one to be picked, and it'd be my turn to kick the ball, and everyone would be like, hey, it's Nathan, he's up, let's all move close. 
And so people would get really, really close. And, and you know, because I, I couldn't kick very far, so the ball would go up, and someone would catch it, and I'd be out. And I remember just feeling really frustrated about that. And one of the voices that came early on is, you're a failure. You can't do anything right. Why bother trying? You, you, just, you just don't have what it takes. And so, you know, that was one of the, the first voices that I started to hear kind of speaking into my brain. And uh, in second grade, you know, I remember this. Uh, I was playing with some friends. We're hanging out. And um, I went over to, to play with one of these girls, and she said to me, Ew, gross, get away. Now, you got to understand, this is at the height of the cootie epidemic. <laughs> and so, you know, this was a major issue. Uh, boys, girls were all getting the cooties. And so I understood her concern, and so I said to her, No, 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 look. I got my cootie shot, you know, circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I got my cootie shot, you know, and, and I thought, hey, we're okay. We can play now. So this little girl looks at me. I think, you know, we were seven at the time. She goes, no, I don't like to play with black kids. She stormed off. Now I was seven years old when this took place. I'm never going to forget this. It was the first time I actually had someone in my face um, actually hate me because of my race. It's, it's not even anything I could change. It was, it was who I was. And then another voice started to scream in my head and said this, you're not normal. You're weird. You're different. You'll never, ever fit in. You know, I thought things would get better when we moved. You know, we, we actually moved after second grade to New Jersey. And... Um, Starting a new school, so I was excited about that. I was going to meet new people. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait. And, um, but my excitement quickly melted into just despair and discouragement because there's this one kid, his name was John, and John had made it his mission in life to make my childhood as miserable as possible. And so, you know, in third grade, you know, we'd have recess, and he would actually get all the boys to essentially kind of give me a hard time, make fun of me, you know, literally follow me around just ridiculing me. And, you know, some of it was, you know, I couldn't catch her throw. There was that. But then it got more and more personal. Um, There's one time, like, you know, you got to understand, this is, you guys remember, like, those MC Hammer parachute pants? Like, remember when, you know, that was, like, what you wore? Or how about those Reebok pumps, right? Remember the pumps? Yeah. And so those are kind of like, that was, like, what you're supposed to wear. You know, but, you know, I wore pants that fit me, right? And, uh, you know, my parents bought shoes that were on sale at Payless. So, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't in style. I didn't have that thing going for me. And so they would be just brutal about what I wore and how it was stupid and nerdy and all this stuff. And um, then it got even more personal because, you know, we were one of the first Indian families to move into this part of New Jersey. So it got racial really fast and really hard. And, and uh, it actually even got physical. There was a point where um, they're just kind of pushing and shoving, and then I fell down. And then one kid grabbed me by the leg and just dragged me around the playground during a school day. And uh, pretty soon, another message started to kind of come into my brain, which was this, you are weak and worthless. You deserve everything that's coming to you because you can't defend yourself. What's wrong with you? You know, I remember my parents tried to get involved, and teachers and administrators, and uh, I think they meant well. But, you know, this was a time before bullying became, like, a big thing. This is kind of when it was seen as, like, a rite of passage, right? Oh, this is what kids do. And so the, word, the, the advice I kept getting was, you know, Nithin, if you ignore it, it'll go away. 
If you ignore them, they'll leave you alone. If you just walk away from them, it won't be a problem. But, you know, that didn't happen. And then a new message kind of started to form, which is this. You'll never be safe. You'll never be safe. You can't trust anyone. They can't do anything to help you. You're all alone. And so these uh, experiences and these messages formed early on were actually amped up and reinforced in middle school, which doesn't make things better, does it? I think middle school is the sixth level of hell. And so I'm in middle school, and every day these voices are blaring in my ear, and then things happen throughout the day. They're blaring in my brain at night, and I'm hearing these on a constant level. You are worthless. You are weak. No one likes you. You are weird. You will always be alone. No one will ever love you. And on and on and on, and these voices actually stayed with me. Even today, I still hear them. Because the reality is this, is that the voices we hear shape our identity. The voices we hear shape our identity. Because we're hearing voices that are always coming at us. Maybe they came at you in childhood. They come at you through marketing. Society brings these, uh, these, these voices that are always coming at us. And some of us, I think, really deep down inside, want someone to actually look past all that stuff and see something worth value in us. To actually pick us and say, you're chosen. You've got value. You're worth it. And there is a voice that says that. There is a voice that speaks that into us. There is a voice that literally rips apart the heavens and comes down onto us, and that is the voice of our Heavenly Father. And His voice is the one that we need to hear to dispel and disarm and destroy the voices that are forming us or have formed us for the past decades of our lives. And we actually see this voice break in to the reality in the baptism of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at just Jesus' baptism and how the Father's voice came to him and how it can come to us as well. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And it's kind of interesting, you know, in two weeks we'll be actually practicing baptism together here. And, and this is really the passage that we get the idea of baptism, why it's important, because Jesus modeled it for us. And so this is really also an opportunity for us to put ourselves in a position and a posture to hear the Father's voice that also begins to disarm the voices of the world around us. So it says this, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be what? Say this with me. Baptized by John. By the way, John is his cousin, so he's known Jesus for a long time. He's known that he's been God. And so he doesn't feel right about baptizing Jesus. That's why he says, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, which meant he went down into the water and they brought him up, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, say this with me, whom I love. With him I am what? Well pleased. <laughs> I love this passage. I love this passage because this is a good, good father looking at his son and saying, I am proud of you, I accept you, and I love you. But imagine this. I mean, we don't have the Jordan River here. In two weeks, we're going to have a hot tub up here. And uh, imagine you're getting baptized, you got your liquid T-shirt on, and, you, and you, you get in the bathtub, and you're with one of the pastors, and they say, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you go down, and you come up. 
and everyone's cheering and clapping. Great, we're so excited. And then all of a sudden, the ceiling breaks open. And the heavens break open. And all of a sudden, there is a dove that flies down on you and lights on you. And you're like, wow, what is going on? And you hear this voice. I am so proud of you. This is my son. This is my daughter. I am so proud of you for making this decision because you are affirming the truth that you are valued, that you are loved, and that you are my child. Because that's what Jesus got when he got baptized. You know, for some of us, our earthly parents have never said that to us. We've craved it, we've desired it, but it was never there. And yet, the father liberally and generously just pours out on his son because he loves him. And here's what's interesting. Jesus has never preached a sermon yet. He hasn't healed any, anyone who's sick. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't done anything miraculous. He just showed up. God doesn't love Jesus or delight Jesus because he did something for him or he's earned it. It's because he's just simply Jesus, because he's simply his son. And from the beginning of time, from the beginning of eternity, God looks at his son and says, I love him. I choose him. He is my beloved. I love how the message translates this. It says this. It says, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. I love this idea, chosen and marked by my love. In fact, what Jesus did for us on the cross, when he died in your place for your sin, when he took away your sin, took away your shame, took away your guilt, he gave you access to this kind of relationship with the Father. Now, it's not just Jesus who is seen as chosen and marked by love. You are. You are chosen and marked by the love of God. He sees you and he delights in you. He approves of you. He accepts you. That is the love the Father showers upon us. And we see what this love looks like. It's described for us in Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. I love that line. Because even before the party was thrown, God knew who was coming. You were on his list. He was thinking about you. He was getting the food that you would like because you know, he, he wanted to have you to have good stuff. He knew that you were going to be there because he chose you in advance of everything. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. You know the gifts that God has for you? You are chosen. You are blameless. You are holy. When God sees you, he sees you as perfect, just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. That's how the Father sees you. That's how he offers you the love that he just wants to offer and lavish upon you, completely chosen and blameless. That's the Father's voice. Will we believe the voice of condemnation of the, or the voice that says, you are loved, you are accepted. I see in you a beauty that you don't even see in yourself. That's the voice of the Father, that he speaks to you on and on and on. Because if we choose to believe what the Father says about us, it will actually change and transform us. Because the voices we hear shape our identity. What is your identity being shaped into right now? Who the Father says you are, or who the enemy says you are. You know, after getting through middle school, you know, and working my way through there, I eventually did get to high school, and uh, I passed whatever I needed to pass. So I get to high school, and I become a Christian. I become a, a Christ follower, and I'm like, things are going to get better, but, you know, I still struggled. 
with all of those things. I still heard the voice of, you're worthless, you're weak, you're unloved, uh, you're, 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 there's nothing worth loving about you. Those voices were still ringing and reverberating in my head. And I remember one time these voices when I was in college were so loud that I was like, how am I going to get free of this? And I just felt like, God, you need to give me a mentor. You need to help me figure this out. You need to send someone in my life. And that's when God sent a guy named Ron Wolborn to me. Many of you might remember Ron. He spoke here a couple months ago. But uh, Ron actually invited me into his mentoring group. And in this mentoring group were guys that I thought were spiritual giants on our college campus. They were preachers. They were leading things. And I'm just going, what am I doing with these guys? Like, these guys are like a head and shoulders above me. But we were all there to learn the voice of God. What, what is God saying to us? How is he speaking to us? And I remember I was in a class that Ron was teaching, and he was talking about how God loved us and accepted us. And I was sitting there struggling with that. Because, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, I've been so for a couple years, um, I know the Bible, but, you know, I still struggled with doubt. I still struggled with sin. Uh, I still made bad decisions. Even though I knew what was right, I was still kind of caught up in kind of the moment, and, and I was undisciplined. I was like, how can God love me? I should know better. I should be further along in life. Why would God love and accept me? I'm a screw-up. That was kind of the inner dialogue that was going on in me. And so Ron said, hey, if any of you need prayer, why don't you come forward for prayer? And so uh, I came up for prayer because I was like, this stuff is just so strong in my head. And I remember Ron comes up to me, and he, he puts an, an arm on my shoulder, and he starts praying for me. And to this day, I don't remember what he said. I don't remember what he prayed. But I remember in that moment something happened. As he was praying for me, I all of a sudden started to feel the love of the Father. I was flooded with waves of God's love and acceptance and approval. It was so powerful. It was so palpable. It, it, I literally was so overwhelmed by it, but I literally just fell to the ground. And I just had to receive the love of the Father. And in that moment, I knew that no matter how sinful I was or broken I was and, and how damaged I was, it didn't matter because God still loved me and accepted me and received me. And in that moment, Ron said these words over me. He said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And you see, church, here's what you got to understand. This wasn't simply Ron quoting scripture to me. This was actually God saying to me, Nathan, it doesn't matter how you did in kickball. I still chose you. It doesn't matter who dragged you around the playground. You are still strong and you are still in me. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. You are loved. You are accepted. You have worth in Jesus. That's the truth, church. And that is the truth about you as well. God loves you, accepts you. He chooses you. He empowers you. This isn't just a word for Jesus. It's not just a word for me. It is a word for you that you need to receive. You are accepted. Will you receive that? Will that be the voice that will determine your identity, that will shape your destiny? That is what God is calling you to, to stand up and to lean into that reality. Because here's the truth. We live in a world that says we have to earn love, but you're not loved because you're valuable. You're valuable because you're loved. You're not loved because you're valuable. You're valuable because you're loved. Please don't get the order of this mixed up. Because you need to understand there's nothing you can do to make God turn you away. There's nothing you can do to earn his favor. You simply need to say, yes, Lord, I receive your love. I receive your acceptance. I receive your approval. Because that's the reality.
He loves you and approves of you. In fact, uh, this past week uh, in our freeway books, I was, I was processing this a little bit. And I was on page 166, and he was asking this question here, who am I? And so I, I, I kind of checked off a couple things in here. You know, I'm a parent. Uh, I, I, on a good day, I know I'm God's beloved. I'm the life of the party. Actually, I like to think I am the party, you know, <laughs> just to be honest. And, you know, I actually went back and looked over again. I was like, you know, there's, there's something that's missing here. And I actually checked over here in the, where it said other, and I wrote imposter. And where it asks, what identity do you align with the most? I actually wrote imposter. Because, you know, there's times where, actually, not times, every day, I had this discussion this morning with myself, that I just feel fake. I just feel phony. Just like that vice president. You know, when everyone, when everyone goes around, I go, did I just fool everyone really well? And I start to hear this voice speak to me and says this, you're a fake. If people really knew that you struggled with doubt, what do you think they'd think? Or how about where you struggled with sin? Or how about the fact that you listen to heavy metal? They're going to find out you're a hypocrite. And you know, when, when I wrestle with that identity, the fact that this is how I see myself and I have to fight that voice every day, I remember this question, who are you in God's eyes? And I'm his beloved. He loves me. And even though there's this gap between the way I see myself and the way God sees me, I have a choice to make. Will I see myself the way the enemy sees me or the way God sees me? Which voice will I choose to believe and accept and hold on to? In fact, I love what it said in the next page here, page 168. It says this. Which statements do you believe are true about you? And, you know, I wrote some things like, you know, I'm a talker, not a listener. That's why I'm a preacher. <laughs> I probably don't exercise as much as I should. I should do more. I could really lose some weight. Um, other people are a lot more successful and creative th than me. I could be better with my money. And, you know, after it asks this question, uh, or, or after you go through this exercise, it says, do you think you're being too hard on yourself? And so I wrote yes. Maybe I am being a little too hard on myself. Maybe I'm being too nitpicky. But here's the thing. Some of this stuff is absolutely true. I could be making better decisions with my money. I know that. You know, I definitely could lose a little bit more weight. The BMI says I'm, I'm obese, so I have got some work to do. <laughs> but even here, you know, I don't make enough time for the kids. There's truth in that. And so when we are kind of confronted with this aspect that, you know what, there, are some, there is some stuff about us that doesn't line up, that we, we, we've got some issues in our life that we have to work through and some problems and stuff. But here's the deal. God still sees you as his beloved. Even if all this stuff is true, even if you've messed up, God still sees you as beloved, accepted, as his son, as his daughter, as chosen. Imagine that today at this moment, Jesus, who knows every aspect of your story, he knows your weak prayer life, he knows your lack of devotion, he knows your hypocrisy, he knows every skeleton in your closet, he knows the hidden motives that really drive your life that you don't have any access to. But this Jesus chooses to love you without limits, to choose you without boundaries, to pursue you no matter what. This is who we're talking about. Jesus will love us, pursue us, accept us, no matter what, no matter what junk is in our life, no matter what sin we still struggle with, he loves us and receives us and accepts us. That is the love of the Father that he has for us.
But it all comes down to this. Whose voice are we listening to? Will we listen to the Father's voice of unconditional love and acceptance or the enemy's voice of rejection and condemnation? You know, oftentimes we get asked, Nathan, how do I know if I'm hearing God's voice or my own voice? How do I know if, you know, is it, is it God or is it Satan? You know, am I Satan? You know, those kind of things. I haven't gotten the Satan one in a while, so. But uh, that's a great question. Because so often, these two voices are in our ear all the time, but we have a choice of which one we're going to believe. And I want to give you, there's actually a chart right now that's in your um, notes that'll kind of help you start to discern what's Satan's voice versus what's God's voice. Because Satan, remember, is the father of lies. His job is to just lie to you. The thing is, he's not very creative. But the Father speaks truth that's grounded in the cross of what Jesus has done for us. So, for instance, Satan's voice brings fear and frenzy, but the voice of God brings calm and comfort. You ever have this happen? You go to the doctor's office, and this voice is going in your brain? They're going to find something. They're going to find something. Your mother had something. Your sister had something. They're going to find something. And that voice, it, it paralyzes us anxiety and the fear that comes up. But then the voice of the Father is this. I have your life in complete control. I know what's going to happen. I know every hair on your head. You can just trust in me. Everything is going to work out for a plan. Trust me. He wants to make you fearful and, and he wants to make you put you in a frenzy, but God brings calm and comfort. The voice of Satan brings confusion and coercion but the voice of God brings clarity and direction. So maybe you get this voice. Oh my gosh, should I finish school? Like I'm really struggling with my grades. Um, it's really difficult right now, and I'm really struggling with some relationships here. Uh, maybe I should just uh, drop out, or maybe I should transfer. I'm, I'm not sure what I should do, and, and my boyfriend wants me to move in with him, or else he's going to leave me. I'm, I just don't know what to do. You get the sense of pushing and coercion from the enemy, but the Father brings clarity and direction. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first after me. All of those things, I will lead you where you need to go. I will bring you in a place that's going to be fruitful for your life. The enemy also brings condemnation and discouragement, but God brings forgiveness <clears throat> and encouragement. Maybe you've been struggling with a sin that you just can't shake. The enemy says this, again, you messed up again? God's not going to love you. He's disappointed with you. You expect him to forgive you again? Come on. It's too good to be true. But the voice of your father says this. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect for your weakness. There's always grace. There's always love. There's always acceptance at my hand. And finally, the voice of the enemy says this. He brings stress and worry, but God brings peace and security. Oh my gosh, how are you going to pay for these bills? You're, you're struggling at work right now. You're not managing your money well. What's wrong with you? You should know better. But the voice of God says this. I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you and not harm you, give you hope in the future. Trust in me. Lean into me. When you make mistakes, I'll always bring grace. I'll always bring forgiveness. See, the voice of God ultimately is a voice of peace. It leads to life. 
But let's be honest. It's easy to have a chart up. But when you're in the moment and stuff happens, we all go there, don't we? We all go to that place where we just kind of listen to the voices and the voices kind of yell at us and, and kick us around. You know, or maybe this has happened to you where, you know, you're in your freeway group and you just shared something really deep, something really personal and vulnerable. And you're kind of playing it over your head on the drive back home. And you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just share? <laughs> and then this voice comes. You're an idiot. I can't believe you said that. People are going to judge you. They're going to think, oh, you're the crazy person that's in our group. Next time it's your turn to share, just eat some more coffee cake and let it pass. <laughs> but that's the voice of the enemy. But the voice, you know what the voice of your father says to you? Maybe when you feel that sense of, oh, I can't believe I did that. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for sharing a part of your story that's maybe dark, still undone, and maybe broken. Because when you shared that, you gave permission to everyone else in your group to be honest and real. You gave people in your group the opportunity to be free. Your father's proud of you. That's always the father's voice. He is proud of you. See, one of the things I love about what God wants to do is, is he wants to take our broken pieces of our story, you know, the, the junk in our life, the, the, the dark, greasy places that we want to hide because we're ashamed of them. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to transform them. He wants to make them into something beautiful. He wants to make them into something that is life-giving and is going to be a blessing to others around us. So those areas that you're like, God, I don't want you to see that. The Lord simply says, I accept all, every aspect of your life. The stuff that you're ashamed of and the stuff that you're proud of, I accept you. Because the Father showers us with acceptance. That's his heart. That's his joy. You know, one of the things that we had to do in our freeway books this past week is we had to um, write a letter to someone that we were forgiving. <clears throat> I know for some of you that was really hard because you're still living with the consequences of what people have done to you. But I also know that for some of you that did that, it set you free. You were finally able to release people, maybe who, who have already passed away. And it was an opportunity for you to experience life. And did you ever wonder, you know, I really wish God would sometimes write me a personal letter. You know? Something that, that was real, something that really speak to me, so, something like even what he spoke to Jesus on the cross, or, or you know, when he got baptized. And I, I wish he'd, he'd, he'd write something like that to me. And, and, you know, for many of us, we know that God has written us a love letter. It's the scripture. But maybe we're like, no, nah, I mean, come on, it's all, you know, it's nice, but it's not what I was thinking of. But what if someone took those scriptures and and God actually had a personal message for you. Not for everyone, but just for you. How would that speak to you? Here's what I want to ask us to do all across our campuses. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Because I want us to soak in the words that your Heavenly Father has for you. I want us to hear His love letter to you.
my child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered, for you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written on my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, for I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore, and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, almighty God. Father waits for you. He just wants you to come. Come as you are. Come with your mess. Come with your life all messed up and not neat and tidy. He wants you to come and crawl into his lap and he wants to enjoy you. <clears throat> he asks that question. Will you be his child? Will you be his child? You see, when we come to a place where we hear the voice of God and we choose to accept it, that we are sons and we are daughters of the mighty living God. <coughs> That's our identity. That's who we were made to be. Maybe for some of you in this room, you're thinking, Nathan, that's what I need. I need that affirmation from the Father. I, I, I need him to literally come down and, and just tell me who I am, that I'm, I am a son, I'm a daughter, I am more loved, I am his, the object of his delight. What's my next step? And for some of you, your next step is the step of baptism.
See, baptism, we're going to be celebrating these in two weeks. And there's nothing, you know, that's more powerful than seeing people who have been opened up about their story and saying, this is what God has done in my life. Here is the mess. Here is the shame and the sin and the regret. Here's what Jesus has done. He has forgiven me of all of that, and now I'm going off to new life. See, you realize that Jesus didn't come to make you a better person, right? He, made, he came to make dead people alive. And so when we get baptized, what we're doing is we're actually symbolically saying, I am going to die to my old ways of living, my old ways of seeing myself, the old voices that used to control me, and live in the new reality of who God says I am. The old is God. I'm a new man, I'm a new woman, because what Jesus has done for me on the cross. That's what we celebrate in baptism. And maybe you've been going through this freeway group, and your stuff's been coming up, and you're processing it, and now your next step is to say, yeah, I want to do what Jesus did. I want to experience the love and the affirmation of the Father. Baptism is the first step. If you've never been baptized before as an adult, this is where God is leading you. This is where you put yourself right smack in the middle of his will to receive from him. In fact, if you're looking at that as your next step, we have baptism bags. If you go uh, out the door into the, into the kiosk there, you can grab a baptism bag. It's got a seat in it that gives you instructions and tells you about baptism. Then you can go to liquidchurch.com baptism to sign up. And that's an opportunity for you to take that next step that God is leading you. But maybe you're here today, and you're like, Nathan, I've been baptized. I've been following Jesus, but those voices, I have not been able to shake them. And it's been decades. I need to encounter the Father's love today, right now, in this moment. So let's do that. Let's encounter the Father's love together. Would you all stand with me? I want to pray for us. All across our campuses, would you just rise? I want to pray for all of us because what we need is a fresh encounter with the Spirit of God. So here's what I ask you to do. If you're in a place where you're saying, I need the Father's love right now, I need to receive that affirmation, go ahead and raise your hands up. Just raise your hands up. Because it's a posture of saying, God, I, I want to receive. I'm done trying to argue or trying to do it all on my own. I just want to receive from you. So with your hands up, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. The Spirit of God is going to touch you. And for some of you, you're going to feel something specific and tangible. Some of you may not feel anything at all, but what the Spirit of God is doing, He's downloading something into your spirit that you may not even realize that you have until later. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now and meet us where we're at. My brothers, my sisters, our fellow sons and daughters of the living God, would you right now speak to them? Holy Spirit, speak. So let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Spirit, speak clearly, lovingly. We take authority over any opportunity Satan may use to speak to us right now. We break that off. We break the lie that says, God's not going to speak to you. This is all fake. We break that off right now in the name of Jesus. We ask for a clear, clear voice of the Father's love right now. Here's what the Father says. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. You are the object of my delight. We break off the voices of fear. We break off the voices of blame and shame. We break off the voices of approval. We break off the voices of performance. God, you just ask us to crawl into your lap and receive and accept your love. And we choose to hear that voice. 
We choose to live in that reality in Jesus' name.